It's important to understand that we're the body of Christ. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked on the planet, and while he was physically here, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. Look at how I act. Look at what I say. Look at what I do. Look at what's important to me. Look at how I respond to people and situations. That's God. Today, 2,000 years later, Jesus physically isn't on this planet. But he set us up as the church and calls us his body. And so we represent, we're, we're, we're called, we're charged with the responsibility and the privilege of representing God. Representing what God is really like. And unfortunately, over the last 2,000 years, not everyone's been a great public relations demonstration for God. Not everyone's actually represented him well. If you were a PR company, some people, if they were a PR company for Jesus, he would have fired them a long time ago. What I've noticed, and I'm not saying this to beat anybody up, but a mistake that, that often people make is they spend too much time talking about what God isn't like and talking about what God doesn't like. And worst of all, and I think it's the most heinous thing and way to represent God is to talk and emphasize who God doesn't like. As if we know. As if there is such a thing. The fact of the matter is, and we need to understand that how we view God informs how we approach God. Right? And not only that, how we view God often informs if we approach God. And we're going to be asking over these next four weeks, does a decision to make Jesus our Lord present us with a prison sentence or a permission slip? Okay. And I want to go way back to the beginning, the beginning of the biblical account of history. God created Adam and Eve God had them walking in a garden, a garden that he'd created that was beautiful and perfect and provided everything they would ever need. And God said to them, you can do anything you want in this garden. You can, you can go anywhere. You can touch anything. I've created this for your pleasure. I've created this, in fact, so that you and I can have this open relationship where there's no shame, no guilt, no separation. Only there's just one, just one, one tree. We call it the tree of life. We're just, it's one, okay? See, everything you can have, it's yours, just, except for just one. I, I don't want you to touch that one. Well, problem is that the days ticked by, and for whatever reason, Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. And uh, whilst they could have had everything else, they decided to disobey God, and take from that one tree, just the only one that God said don't, take from that one tree. And then God came back in one afternoon, strolling through the garden, looking for them. And they knew that they'd messed up like little kids do when daddy comes home. And they started trying to hide from God. Well, good luck with that. And here's what happened when God found them. God made leather clothing for Adam and his wife and dressed them. And God said, 
The man has become like one of us, capable of knowing everything, ranging from good to evil. See, they didn't know evil up to that point. What, 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 a, great, what a great way to live, where you, you didn't know evil, you've never been exposed to it. Now they know it. Now I'm going to come back to, that's a little bit of a spoiler alert as to why God didn't want them to touch that fruit of that tree in the first place, but I'll come back to that. What if you could now reach out and take from the fruit of the tree of life and eat and live forever? Well, never. This can't happen. So God expelled them from the Garden of Eden and sent them to work the ground, the same dirt out of which they'd been made. He threw them out of the garden and stationed angel cherubim and a revolving sword of fire east of it, guarding the path to the tree of life. Look at that last that last sentence, the, it, the Bible is full of imagery. So you've got to, you know, those of you that are visual people, recreate this scene in your mind. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve find themselves outside of the garden. And God only, not only did their punishment look like that they were temporarily thrown out. No, God actually wanted to make sure they didn't ever come back in and station an angel and a revolving sword of fire at the gate of the garden. You ain't coming back in here, kids. Nope. You're going into the thinking chair. You're going into timeout for quite a long time. And I've got an angel and a big flaming sword. It's going to make sure you stay out. The problem is, Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, too many people think that this freeze-framed snapshot of history is still how God operates today. And I got 20 minutes to show you that this is no longer how things are. But before I tell you how things are, let's have a look and a little bit of a thought about how people think things are. You know, I've been thinking to this, this week, what are, what are some of the prevailing perspectives that exist about God? You know, I think one of the prevailing perspectives is that, you know, following God, it's good, but terms and conditions apply. You know, I've been given the contract, the contract looks good, but uh, terms and conditions apply. A bit like, you know, private health insurance. They're selling you private health insurance. The reason you should go with this private health insurer is that um, you can get two free pairs of glasses every year for no gap. In other words, it's like free glasses. And, uh, and then you go, well, that sounds cool. You know, I need glasses. Yeah, a couple of free pairs a year for this private health insurer. Fantastic. And uh, the bottom of the thing says terms and conditions apply. And after you've signed up, then you think, well, maybe I should read these terms and conditions. And you find out that it's only one optometrist. They're in Sydney. You think, oh, well, use some frequent flyer points. You go to Sydney, you go to this optometrist and you say, hey, listen, I'm with this particular healthcare provider. Apparently, I can get two free pairs of glasses with no gap. And they say, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Brian, Brian, we've got people for the free glasses. Brian goes underneath the counter, underneath the cupboard, rummages around in some little shoebox, comes out with these kind of glasses and puts them on there and goes, help yourself, mate, two, go for it. And they're the most fugliest, just horriblest, like there's a reason they're free. And no offense, Angie, I know that you just, uh, but you know, and, and Jess. But anyway, other than those people who, terms and conditions apply or, or, uh, or um, you're going for a new mobile plan. Unlimited data, 
unlimited text, unlimited voice calls. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. You know, sit in the cow. Wow. Uh, terms and conditions apply. Uh, only if you're calling people in Siberia and only between the uh, off-peak hours of 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. What about this? Here's some, some ideas of when people, this is the Bible, by the way, I don't read this, I read it from my iPhone, but it doesn't have the same dramatic appeal if I just start waving my iPhone around. Read the iPhone, God's iPhone, even though it is, um, Jeffrey. And uh, but some people, what do they think of when they think of this, this, this book, the, the, the book of life, the book that God wrote so we'd actually have a clear idea of who he really is, what he's really like, and who he really likes. Well, I think some people think of it like this. This is a book that I had to study when I was at Bible college. It's called Systematic Theology. And as you can probably guess by its size and its title and its very, very horrible graphic design, it wasn't... uh, Anyway, the course was memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, An Introduction to Biblical Doctrine... Some people think of God as being someone that's, that's, that's sent us this instead of this. And that one day he's going to sit us down and we're going to take an exam. And if we get one answer wrong, boom, the angel's there, the sword's there, and you're out. What about this? This is the paperwork from when Louis and I bought our house. And there's loan documents and settlement documents and transfer documents. And I haven't read most of it. I signed it all, but I didn't read most of it, right? Some people think God's the, the settlement agent that we think works for us. They don't work for us. They work for our money. And that it, you don't need to read the fine print. <laughs> I'll take care of you. <laughs> no need to panic. Just sign here. <laughs> Terms and conditions may apply. But what about this one? Come follow me, God says. And you think, oh dear. God looks like my headmaster. So I grew up in the days where, can- where caning was not only legal, it was encouraged. <laughs> it was rewarded. You got to be principal if you were the best caner in the business. And so God's just sitting up in heaven, waiting for you to screw up. And he's going to call you into his office. And he's going to say, drop your, dr- drop your drawers, drop your dacks, drop your britches. Right? Is that unreasonable? Is that far-fetched? Does any of that seem, no, I don't know anybody that ever thinks that sort of stuff about God. You know, probably some of you have even thought about some of that when you think about God. Maybe you've even been taught that that's kind of how God operates. What about another prevailing perspective, theme parks? Some people think of God as the ultimate theme park designer. Now, you go to a theme park, Louie and I go to different theme parks around the world, and the rides, the different theme parks, some of the rides... Many of the rides, not all, but many of the rides have, have, have this height criteria. Okay, let me give an example. Height criteria. 
So, you know, we've been to various theme parks around Australia, around the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. It must be pretty cruel when you and Louie go to a theme park together and you can't go on the same rides, that I am allowed to go on the adult rides. And Louie, now, look, yeah, I know. It, thankfully, there's two things. Number one, Louie doesn't ever like the same rides as I like, okay? We went to Disneyland. She wanted to just all day, it's a small world after all. Like, you know, I'm like, there's a roller coaster over there. I'm gonna, so, you know, but there's another workaround that Louie's figured out. There's actually theme parks where I'm not even allowed to go on the rides because you must be under 48 inches tall. And she goes on these all day long, and I sit and... Uh, okay. All right. I know. Some of, you, some of you, you need to understand, I have my marriage counselor on speed dial. And Louie now has our divorce lawyer on speed dial. So... Uh, <laughs> It's all right. Everything's fine. <laughs> but not only are there some within parks with, where rides have a height restriction, there's actually parks, something parks. This one is a sign you'll find in uh, downtown Orlando where they actually will tell you in advance what the height restriction is for the park just based on the nature of the park and the, and the nature of, uh, of the attractions there. And this is how some people represent God. That the only way you're allowed back into a relationship with God is if you meet the restrictions. Pray 30 minutes a day, maybe God will let you in. Be a good person, maybe God will let you in. Help old ladies cross the road, maybe God will let you in. Don't ever break any of the Ten Commandments, maybe God will let you in. We'll talk about the Ten Commandments next week, by the way. You'll hear me say the words, thou shalt, for the first and last time next week. I know, just a preview. But is that really God's message? Is God's message a prison sentence or a permission slip? That's the question we're asking. Let me go back a little bit from this uh, image that I just shared, excuse me, about where God left Adam and Eve on the outside of the garden. Just before God had come back, after they'd eaten from the tree that God said, I I don't want you to touch, and before God came back and confronted them, there was a scene. A serpent came along. The serpent represented the devil, the enemy of God. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Understand this is a tactic. This is a tactic of the devil. It was a tactic of the devil way back in the beginning of time. And he still uses the same tactic today. You study God's word. You get revelation of God's truth, what God did say, what God really said, what God's really like, who God's really for, what God really wants you to do. And the devil comes along and goes, yeah, Did God really say that? Teenager, did God really say that sex was bad? Religious person, did did God really say that that he's about joy and and, and life and liberty? Did God God really say that? now, Now, the devil's a liar. In fact, he's called the father of all lies. 
All lies come from him. Look, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? No, God didn't say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. In fact, he said you can eat from every tree in the garden. The devil, he's trying to go exactly the opposite. God, God, hey, woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, <clears throat> by the way, it's a little bit of a hint. When people have a weak position, and they try to convince you over to their position, they exaggerate. Exaggeration is a form of lying. This is exactly right here. The devil had a weak position. The devil knew what God really said. She knew what God really said, but he's trying to exaggerate, sell her a lie. Well, Eve said this in reply to the serpent. The woman said, uh, actually, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Must not touch it or you will die. It's a pretty good reason for God to not want you to touch it. If the consequence is death, right? Does this sound like God's motivation was limitation or liberation? If he's trying to say to you, do not touch something that will cause you to die. Those of you with kids, when they walk up to start playing and start putting their finger in the light socket or their hand in the toaster when it's on, right? And you say, don't do that. Well, how dare you, mum and dad? Sounds like you're all about limitations. You're restricting Junior's freedom. How selfish, how imposing of you. No, how loving of you. How unconditionally loving of you. How loving of you that you use your superior wisdom to make sure Junior doesn't fry himself before he knows any better. I mean, fry yourself once, if he survives, he probably should know better second time round. But we try to even kind of run lead block on that particular scenario. Chippy smack before he even gets there. God says, you mustn't touch it. But he's not a God of liberation, limitation. He's a God of liberation. He puts parameters in place, not as a prison sentence, but for our protection. Does God let us do absolutely anything we want all the time? Yeah, he lets us. But he advises us that there's certain things that actually will cause us to die. Adam and Eve rolled the dice and the gamble didn't pay off. Now, the problem isn't that just that a lot of Christians believe this, this stuff, this idea that that God's a God of limitations and that we've been expelled from the garden and we're never going to be let back in because there's a big flipping Arnold Schwarzenegger-like angel there with a big flaming, flaming sword. See, Australian, you have to say flaming before you say the object, but it's already a flaming sword. See what I did there, Reese? A flaming, flaming sword. Well, let me land this. Let me land this and tell you or remind you and commission you to make sure this is how you go from here and we go from here representing Jesus. That the image that's been freeze-framed for all eternity in Genesis of Adam and Eve disobeying God and God expelling them from a relationship with him and positioning an angel and a, and a sword to stop them from ever getting back into positioning them at the gate back into the garden. 
That was true then. That's not true today. That might be some of the best news some of you have ever heard. Because some of you grew up in churches where you heard week in, week out about what God's not like, what God doesn't like, and who God doesn't like. You know, if I ever, if I ever turn up at a, a picket or a march or a protest or a rally, which I won't, by the way, <laughs> not quite my style. If I did, I'll have my picket. I will have made it myself, courtesy of materials from Bunnings. And my uh, sign's going to say, Jesus loves you. It's a pretty good sign, eh? Now, I'm not going to do that. I don't know how to paint, but, um, or nail things or do any of that sort of high-tech stuff. But, uh, yeah, Jill, Jill yeah, okay, fair enough. There is a workaround. Um, here's why that would be my message. Let me tell you something Jesus himself said. He said, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. Look at this. There's two people represented in this statement. There's a thief and there's Jesus, right? It's important that we know whose CV is which before we decide which one to follow, right? I reckon the guy, the second guy, has got the better resume there. I'm more for real eternal life, more and better life than I've ever dreamed of instead of having stuff stolen and killed and destroyed. Now, this, this kind of characterizes the devil's intention versus Jesus' intention, right? What's interesting, though, is uh, having studied my systematic theology book, is that Jesus, when he's talked about the thief, wasn't actually referring to the devil. Did anyone ever think, think that he was? Did, did anyone? Ah, see? It's going to be worth the price of admission right here. He actually wasn't referring to the devil, although that job description does fit the devil and his motives, right? <clears throat> Let me back it up. That's verse 10. See, it's at the top, chapter 10, verse 10. Something for you to engrave on your heart. Let me wind back to verses 7 through 9, just before that, because this is the context of when... Why Jesus just said what he did. Oh, okay. I forgot to change the 10. I'd blame Sam, but it was actually me. That's his verse 7 to 9. Stupid Sam. It was, it was me. I'm just, that's why I can joke about it. It was me, me. You didn't notice it though, Sam. Um, <laughs> anyway, the words are the more important thing than the numbers in the, in the Bible, just so you know. In fact, the original Bible didn't even have numbers. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. He was talking about all of the people that have come before him that have tried to teach that God's a God of limitation. God's a God of rules. God's a God of restrictions. The very people, the religious leaders who weren't satisfied with the original Ten Commandments that by the time Jesus came along, they'd, they'd amplified and written more to the point where there was now 613 commandments telling you about all the rules and restrictions, the terms and conditions that apply if we want to follow God. 10 weren't enough. Let's go for 613. And Jesus came along and said, listen, the rules 
the restrictions, the terms, the conditions, that's not the passcode. That's not the gate. That's not how you get back in. Yeah, God expelled Adam and Eve, but I want you to come back in. God's always wanted to have a relationship with us. And it's our disobedience that expels us. Not God's lack of unconditional love for us, but God's because he unconditionally love us, loves us, always wants us to come back in. But rules and restrictions, terms and conditions, limitations aren't going to be what does it. And the people that came before Jesus, those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. Thankfully, and he's talking about the people that stood before him today, and it's true for us today, the sheep didn't listen to them. Jesus clarified it. I'm the gate. The rules and restrictions aren't the gate. I'm the gate. The angel cherubim and the, and the flaming sword that were there once upon a time, now that I have come, you need to understand, I'm the gate. This is great news. In fact, it's so flippin' brilliant, God just blows our doors off. He didn't say, I've got the keys to the gate, which, by the way, would still be handy. But God don't operate that way. He blows our minds. He didn't say, I've got the keys to the gate. He says, I am the flippin' gate. When you're the gate, you get to do whatever you want. No rules and restrictions, no terms and conditions apply to you if you're the gate. Kind of what? Jesus is a gate? Yeah, he's a gate. He's not a gate, he's the flipping gate. Flaming gate, flipping gate. No, I'm not going to drop an F-bomb. You can all relax. Anyone, anyone, not a, not a select few, the ones that pass the height restrictions, anyone who goes through me will be cared for. Now, look, there's a problem that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, Right? There's a problem. The problem is that the people he was speaking to then, he used examples and metaphors and analogies that they understood. So he didn't have to explain them. He's talking to people who are shepherds. So he talks about sheep. And they go, oh, yeah, we know about sheep. They'd be more likely to look at him and go, what do you know about sheep, mate? You're a flipping carpenter, chippy. Now, we, we, what, what do we know about sheep? Apart from in springtime, lamb is delicious. That's about it. Or if you watched the Tour de France last night, you'll notice that the farmers painted in Yorkshire, painted their sheep yellow for the occasion. Bloody crazy English people. Anyway. Anyone. Oh, it's my bloodlines too. Yeehaw. She wish. Okay. First of all, that's horses. And second of all, let's cross the pond. But anyway. Uh, anyone who goes through me will be cared for. What they knew, what the listeners knew, is in those days, at the end of the day, the shepherd would call the sheep back in. The sheep that had been out grazing, call them back in, and he would actually check every single one of them. They all had, well, they all, all had access permissions. They were all going to get in, which is cool, and be protected from the thief, which is cool. But Jesus just blows our minds. He does immeasurably more than we can even ask for or imagine. He, the shepherd, would check every single one of those sheep before they came in for the night. And if they had a, an issue, an injury, he would heal them. He would, he would sort that out. He would, he would meet them and fix them. Now it was, he would do that. They didn't have to pass the height restrictions. They didn't have to fix themselves and then maybe get back in. Jesus said, just come to me. I'm the gate. And, and I'm, and I'm going to actually fix you as you come to me. You can get in. 
I'll, I'll even fix you before you get in. I'll even heal you. I'll transform. Wow. The thief is only here to steal and kill and destroy. The rules, the restrictions, the terms, the conditions, the requirements. They're only here to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. A life following Jesus isn't a prison sentence. Yeah, there's some stuff that God says don't do. But he sets parameters for our protection. There's no longer an angel and a sword at the gate. There's Jesus. He is the gate. And he reveals something of himself. Come to me. And I'll treat you. I'll tend to you. And you can come in. Back in to a relationship that he didn't ever want to have separated in the first place. It's pretty cool, hey? Over these next three weeks, I'm going to unpack this a bit more, talking about the Ten Commandments next week and how they might actually apply to us today. And maybe a clearer understanding of why God would have needed to put a few things in place at the beginning. So be here next week. But I just want to do one more thing. And uh, some of you maybe have never actually approached Jesus as the gate, not at the gate, as the gate. Maybe you've never actually presented yourself to him and say, look, Jesus, I want to come in. I want to actually have a relationship with you. I want to actually get back into that place where I can have a relationship with you. Jesus, he says, yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in, come on in. But you've got to want to. You've got to approach him. That's the only thing. He's, he's, he's going to say, come on in. Come into a relationship with me. Absolutely. You don't have to pass the height restrictions. You don't have to have been praying 30 minutes. You, no. Come to me. Some of you, that's the decision you need to make today. To come to Jesus and just say, yep, I screwed up. I need you to forgive me. Help me. And I want to get back into a relationship with you or, or into a relationship with you for the very first time. For those of you that need to make that decision, all I want you to do in a moment is just put your hand up. You say, yeah, Jesus, that's me. I want, I want to make that decision today. And when I see a hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. So just as I look across, if you've, if you've made this decision before, you don't have to make this decision again. You're already in. <laughs> but if you've never made this decision, if you've never approached Jesus and said, you know what, I need to actually get in a relationship with you. Just slip your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Real quickly, we had one person lift the hand, make this decision last week. We, we don't want to leave here any Sunday without giving this opportunity. So if you've never made that decision before, just slip your hand up, and then we're going to pray.